Welcome to the Life Education Parent Podcast. Life Education is Australia's largest children's health promotion charity, empowering kids to make safe and healthy choices. In this podcast, we speak to experts about the big issues facing parents today, seeking answers and advice to help you deal with some of the challenges of parenting in the 21st century. Hi, and welcome to another episode. I'm Tracy Challoner. Well, today we're talking about anxiety, a topic a lot of people can relate to. Even before the global pandemic and lockdowns, we were hearing that anxiety is on the rise in children and adults. Why is that? And how can we help kids deal with their worries? Well, today's guest has some great insights and strategies. A former primary school teacher, Michael Gross, is now an award-winning speaker and the best-selling author of 12 parenting books. You've probably heard of his famous book, Why Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It, and more recently, Michael co-wrote Anxious Kids, How Children Can Turn Their Anxiety into Resilience with Dr. Jody Richardson. Michael, it's great that you could join us today. Welcome to the Life Education Parent Podcast. It's a pretty important topic, as you said, so... Uh Probably let's get started. It's a very big topic and I know you give advice on a range of parenting issues, but anxiety, I thought we'll just hone in on that because there's enough to talk about. We know that experts around the country are saying that the on and off school closures and lockdowns due to COVID are worsening children's mental health, not surprisingly. It's been a crazy couple of years, but even pre-COVID, it seems that anxiety levels were on the rise. We kept hearing that. It's a big question, but why are more kids than ever before experiencing anxiety? There's a number of answers to that question. Firstly, um, I guess that's the good news is that part of it is the fact that we're getting better at recognising it. And if I go back many years, I, you know, I was an anxious child myself, and I think back now with the knowledge I've got, and I realised that I had anxiety as a child. Um, didn't stop me doing things, but I still experienced it. But there was really no knowledge about that. So I was known as a worrier, um, you know, stopped overthinking things. And a lot of people in my generation, that's the way we sort of recognise anxiety. And I go to 1998 and there was a large uh, mental health study which within, in Australia and anxiety wasn't even on the sort of the question, so to speak. And that same study 2015, we looked at it again, anxiety was the second biggest issue that young people were facing then. So, you know, the question was in those sort of 17, 18 years, did anxiety go from nothing through to we're going through the roof? No, not exactly. Um, we're getting better at recognising it and it is something now that we we, we do recognise that it's there. So that's, that's partly the issue and partly that we are in an environment which, um, promotes more anxiety as well. So, and those sorts of things. Maybe we may be able to explore some of those, but it's a faster paced world uh, that we live in. Um, digital media and social media, you know, has an impact as well. So, lots of little things impact and make us more anxious as adults, but also as kids. So, there's even lifestyle factors as well. So, it's been fascinating looking at that simple question of why anxiety now and again it's a whole bunch of issues smaller issues which are sort of combining to 
sort of impact on our mental health. It certainly is a, a noisier and faster world that we live in now. We've got so much stimulation cam- coming at us too, haven't we, in terms of um, the amount of information that we're trying to absorb. But you, you mentioned just before we used to say he or she is a worrier and now we label it anxiety. What are some of the factors, apart from the external factors, what are some of the other factors that contribute to a more anxious personality? All right, well, so you are born more likely to be anxious. So kids have a a predisposition for anxiety, or we all do, we have Mm -hmm. a predisposition for anxiety. So it runs in families and about 40% of that runs in the family. So if you've got an anxious parent yourself, a reasonable chance that you may be anxious or if you're anxious, there's a reasonable chance your child may be. So it's partly learned, but also it's partly genetic as well. So you may have a predisposition for anxiety, but it doesn't mean you'll be anxious. You need to be uh, placed in an environment which will invoke that. So um, the similar thing is you may have a predisposition for, to put on muscle mass, but you won't put on muscle unless you, you know, go to a gym or you engage in physical work. So, you know, you can be in a, a very laid-back, relaxed environment and, gee, I'm, life's cool, life's, <laughs> life's no dramas. Anxious, not me. Um, <laughs> but suddenly you put into that sort of, a, you know, the stressful situations, the faster pace of things which make you anxious, and then suddenly you become more anxious. But as I say, and, and I put people into two groups, those who understand anxiety and those who say, not me, got no idea what it's about. And, um, and that, that tends to be the group who actually says to kids, come on, get on with it, or, you know, what's the problem? And so it's important that we actually understand that anxiety is real for those people who've got that predisposition, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And for anyone who's ever experienced anxiety, it's not just a mental thing. There are often those physical reactions too that can make the anxiety episodes feel even worse. Talk us through some of those common reactions or manifestations of anxiety. What yeah. does it feel like for someone? Yeah, and that's a good point. Firstly, what's the difference between anxiety and being a worrier is simply, you know, we worry or we ruminate a lot and mm-hmm. that's all. That's a mental thing. Um, you know, I spend some time lie, lie awake and think about things, think think about work things, et cetera, um, but they don't make me anxious. But sometimes I sit at, at, at night and think and worry about things um, in the same sort of way, uh, certain things, and I feel anxious. And that's very much a physiological thing. So we can separate the notion of worry and separate the notion of anxiety. So we worry, that's a mental thing, but anxiety is is something which is a very physical or physiological thing. So I always work my way from the top of the body right down to the, to the bottom. So for some people, we get headaches. Others will get... They'll start to talk fast. Mm-hmm. Others will get very tense in their shoulders because their breath is very high and we start to breathe very high. So if you can imagine sitting there watching a, a scary movie or watching a close event in the Olympic Games or your sports, you'll be sitting on the edge of your seat and your breath will be really high, but you don't know that. Yeah. You'll have a physiological response. Oh, And suddenly you find out that, that you know there's been a win or whatever and you tend to relax and and your shoulders will drop. So if we move our way down the, the body, a heart will pump and, and some people will feel it within their heart. A lot of people feel it in their stomach. They're in their, and I do, that's how I know that I'm anxious because I'll get that sort of knotted, knot in my gut, so to speak. Um, some kids will feel nauseous. 
And what that's about is that the body is responding to a threat, that the whole notion of anxiety is, is it's the old brain keeping us safe. So the old brain that thinks that can't differentiate between a, a tiger about to attack or a snake about to get you uh, or that test coming up. So the body responds in the same way. And what it does, it actually fires us up. So that's what anxiety is. It actually, it's the fight flight response in the brain, the old brain, where it actually, you know, fires you up ready to chase whatever it is that's a threat or to, to run. Your heart pumps more, your digestion stops and the heart pumps more so to pump all the body or the blood out through to your arms and legs so you can run, so you can get away or you can fight. Um, so it's there to power us up. So that nauseous feeling is about your body stopped digesting and that's what that sort of knot in the gut is that many people experience is their body will stop di digesting. What happens with the shortness of breath or the, the tenseness is that your body has actually changed the breathing pattern to enable you to fight or flight. Also, too, you start looking at your hands. So some people, they will fidget, they will pick their nails, mm -hmm. they will will continue drawing, they'll do things because they can't keep still. And then if we go down to our, our legs, um, some people and some kids, like you can see that in many ways with some kids, they can't sit still. They keep moving all the time. And what that is about is that's that fight flight, which has actually powered us up to move. We're not actually moving. Um, we're worried about something and it's making us very anxious. And how do I get rid of all that built up cortisol in my body? I'll keep moving. And that's why exercise is really important. So the best map that you can have for anxiety is your body. And if we can actually look at anxiety as a physiological thing, not so much a mental thing, but more a physiological thing, well, a lot of the tools which we use to help kids manage their anxiety are very much around physiology as well. So again, um, go through the body, start at the body, but I think every child, every adult as well, will um, anxiety will manifest it in different ways and it's really useful to know how it fits for you. So for me, for example, I, I'll wake up in the morning and I've got that sort of knot in the gut. Um, I also can't, can't keep still. So when I give a presentation, I might be a little bit nervous or anxious about, I'm really moving around all the time. I've got to do things. Um, whereas other kids don't, or other people and some children don't respond in the same way. So it's important to understand that the the triggers your child, how it shows for your child, and also help your kids understand what those, how it shows for them. And those responses you have described, they're really normal and understandable reactions, but they're not very pleasant feelings, are they? What are some of the strategies that you have found helpful to control anxious responses? And, and what are some things that parents can do, some practical things yeah. to help kids that might be really anxious about having to stand up in front of the class or, or whatever it might be, go yeah. away on a school camp by themselves for the first time? Yeah, good point. Okay. So first, it's, it's good to understand that that um, what we want to do is to help kids self-regulate. So we're not going to make anxiety go away. What we do for anxiety is we, it's a little bit like the old-fashioned radio. We want to turn down the dial mm -hmm. a little bit so it's operating in the background. Um, where anxiety is difficult for kids is it, it makes us focus on the things which make us anxious. So if there's a talk at school, um, it's often hard to focus on anything else and concentrate on anything else because all we're worried about is that talk. And so it's good to help kids understand that. 
you know, what's happening to them. So that notion of focus is important. Kids will be divided into two groups, and it's good to understand this as well as if you're a parent. They, you'll either be a controller or an avoider. So let's start with the second group. Avoiders are the kids who, who don't want to go to school camp, who don't want to give that speech at school, who don't want to go into that new social situation because they feel makes them feel very nervous and makes them feel very anxious. And as soon as we say as parents, sweetheart, you don't have to go, the child will feel, oh, that's great. <laughs> Relief. will suddenly feel safe. We go, relief, God, thank goodness. The only trouble is next time the same situation comes up, that child's had no experience of that and will have that, that same response. So avoidance becomes a pattern. And that's why we see, we see with adults in life often that avoidance of situations which make you feel anxious becomes a pattern. So we avoid. So the, the simple strategy for that is for, for parents is to rather than avoid, See if you can find a way to expose your child to that's whatever that situation is. So if it's a four-day school camp and your child's never been at school camp, maybe look at going to school camp one day. Maybe we can look at doing some camping activities outside and so they start to feel comfortable. You know, find out what it might be that makes them anxious and see if we can take some steps towards that rather than avoidance. So there's some clues to help parents, I guess, with the avoiders and for the for the for the controllers, the one thing about controllers, what do I mean by control is that a lot of those kids don't like to take risks um, and they will do things, but they'll have a plan A, plan B, plan C. They'll over plan things. Uh, perfectionists are often very anxious. And so, you know, it, they'll over plan, they'll have a plan A, plan B, that they'll want to know who's picking me up at the end of the day, mum. Um, you know, so they, they need lots of information. So they don't like that sort of aspect of not being in control. So as a parent, you need to give them that information. You, you need to assist them in that way. Don't give them too many surprises because they like to feel that they're in control. Routine is really important for that group. So you may find some kids who are those controllers who suddenly when they go on holidays, they feel very uncomfortable and anxious again because my school routine's gone and they won't feel comfortable until the new holiday routine kicks in after two or three days. So that notion of routines is important for them. And the other aspect for them is to is that they wear themselves out. So don't overload them. So one of the strategies that I think it's important for, for kids is if you know that you're sort of anxious controlling and you, you're going to give that talk at school and you work yourself up and you and you give that talk, well, maybe you've got to make sure after that talk's given that the child's got a chance to relax and play and mess around and just let it all go. Yeah. And even beforehand as well. So that balance. So that's why it's an interesting one when I look and one of the questions I'm often asked by parents is after school activities, how much is too much? Well, one of the things I think you really got to look at is what is your child like? Can they cope? Are they an anxious type? With my two girls, for example, they're in their 30s now, but when they were in, in primary and secondary school, I've got one of them was an anxious one and the other one was was very easygoing personality. The easygoing personality kept herself as busy as anything after school with a million activities, but she could cope. The less... Uh, the anxious personality, as she moved into secondary school, she dropped off a lot of the sports and the things she used to do and enjoy because she needed to create some space and some downtime for herself so she could actually cope. Those bigger coping, coping mechanisms are, are really important for kids. So as far as 
what happens with anxiety and you've got that sort of, you know, how do we get kids to to regulate their states? There's a, there's a number of simple tools and I guess there's tools we, we know about and some of them we've used to put into practice in the past but we don't so much anymore because our lifestyle has changed. So first one I always look at is deep breathing. Mm-hmm. So got an anxious child, let's take some deep breaths and, and do it with them. Um, and what deep breathing does, and that's belly breaths. So people can't see me now, but I've got my hand firmly on my tummy at the moment and taking some <laughs> deep breaths in through my nose and letting them out. And what that does, and there's a reason for that, and what that does, it, it, it is the quickest way to calm yourself down. So anxiety is about high arousal. Kids are highly aroused. And so it... it the deep breathing engages the parasympathetic nervous system. So the parasympathetic nervous system is the part of us which calms us down. So teaching kids to take some deep breaths when they're nervous or anxious is important. Even if they're going to just before doing an activity, whether that's that presentation or that speech, teach them to take some, you know, remind them to take some deep breaths just to calm themselves down. I think we need to go further than that. I think that you can do a lot of, have a lot of fun within your family and make it more of a lifestyle thing. So come on, let's take some deep breaths while we, before we watch this TV show. Um, and so it becomes more of a lifestyle. From a personal perspective, what I often do is if I'm standing in a queue in a supermarket, I'll now just stand there and take some deep breaths through my nose just to relax. So that it becomes part of my lifestyle. So deep breathing is important. Movement is really important as well. So one of the reasons why we have more anxious kids is they often don't move around as much. Mm. So it needs to be big-limbed movement. Big-limbed movement is arms and legs flying around everywhere because what that does, it gets rid of the built-up cortisol, which is the anxious brain will send out, and it it gets rid of it. It dissipates it. It also gives that runner's high, which which is releases endorphins, which makes us feel better. Um, you can cheat and you can have a cold shower and that will release endorphins as well and make right. you feel better. <laughs> that's a cheating way. But so make sure there's plenty of movement. So if your child is going somewhere where there's, you know, he's, he's going to be anxious that day or he's got a big event on or she's got a big event on, you know, go for a walk, do things like that just to, just to get rid of that cortisol and make yourself feel better. Another tool or strategy which we can employ for kids is is mindfulness, and mindfulness is very powerful because it's it's about shutting down that that mind that we've got the the, the mental clutter which keeps going twenty four seven, which will talk kids in and out of things. You can't do this, um, etc. And so that notion of mindfulness is the ability to bring yourself into the into the moment. So it can be as simple as going for a little walk outside and just looking at what's around through to colouring in um, and that's just, you know, closes the brain down. Mindfulness is is the ability to bring yourself in through to the present moment but it's always using the senses. So it will be looking at something, it will be touching or feeling. That's why colouring in is so good. That's why the old squeezy balls, those sort of balls that some people have, just squeeze them. That gets rid of, rid of that brings you into the present, gets rid of tension. Um, and it can be sitting and listening to music as well. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness is almost a lifestyle. There's so much been written about it. But um, you can actually start by just making sure that Whatever you're doing, you're focusing on. So if a child's eating a, a chocolate, just focus on that chocolate. Don't 
talk or anything else. So mindfulness is a, is a terrific strategy, uh, which we can teach kids. And I also, which takes a little bit more effort, one of the things which we wrote about in our book, Anxious Kids, was the, uh, the ability for kids to check in. And you might say, gee, how do you do that? And it's just basically standing still, closing your eyes, taking a few deep breaths and thinking, you know, how do I feel at the moment? It's getting your attention away from your head and down into your tummy. And it might be, you know, I feel nervous or you know, I feel a bit toey about this. doesn't matter what language they use, just got to get their head down to their, to their tummy, so to speak. And just checking in um, is a useful tool and a useful strategy. So it's about that habit. So checking in is a very powerful tool. I've, I've mentioned that one last because it's probably the one that takes a little bit more work to, to get used to. They are fabulous strategies. And you're saying parents and teachers can work with children from a very young age to start adopting some of those strategies. Yeah. Certainly our life education educators do focus a lot on that social and emotional learning as well. I just want to touch on screen time. There's always a lot of discussion about too much screen time. You you mentioned in your book, some researchers say that the more time children and teens spend on screens, the lower their psychological well-being. And I guess that's because it, it does leave less time for those other yeah. positive activities like outdoor play or even just time to imagine and dream, time with friends, even just time to be bored. In your experience, Michael, why are these non-digital pursuits so important for fostering positive mental health? Okay. So, yeah, I, we use the term less screen time, more green time. And you, you hit the nail on the head when you said one of the issues around screens and, you know, let's face it, we're all using screens as part of our life. But of course, if we spend too much time in screen time, like everything else, there's a cost. And I guess the opportunity cost is is that we're starting to see sometimes with, with you know, real, real life relationships, but also in the fact that we can feel always either fatigued or aroused, which doesn't help. So spending time outside is really important. So if you're spending all your time in front of the of the screen, then you're not relaxing um, in a way which gets rid of the cortisol. Um, you're not outside playing. You're not outside doing things. You're not you're not also in a green environment. Our brain feels safe in green. Our, our brain feels safe outside. So we need to get kids outside into outside environments as much as we possibly can, either playing or not even doing much at all, just hanging. And we know that's good for their mental health purely because the brain feels safe. It's designed to be outside and it feels safe in those green outdoor environments. And I guess we always know that as well. We, we, we know that because anyone who's gone out to the beach or gone into a forest and suddenly you walk through and you just relax, you go, wow. This, this is where I'm meant to be. This is fantastic. And the Japanese have a term for it, don't they? They call it forest bathing. They do. It's, it's forest bathing. And the reason for that is that you can't overturn 10,000 years of evolution in 100 years or 200 years. We've always lived outside. Our brains are designed to be outside. We actually feel safe among, around green. And so just being outside and spending time outside is, is good for your mental health and well-being just in that very aspect. You don't have to do too much. Um, we also know that that play is really important for kids' mental health. And then, again, that's sometimes the, the, the opportunity cost for spending too much time in front of screens is not having that opportunity to play. And when I say play, I don't actually mean it doesn't have to be a game. It doesn't have to be a sport. It could actually be performance. It could actually be art. It could be... 
anything which takes you away from yourself. It could be listening to music. Um, And there's three Ps to that aspect of play, which I always keep in mind. And the first is it's free. I chose it or a child chose it. No one made me do it. So for some kids, going to sports practice might not be play because their parents want them to go. So um, it's free. I choose to choose to do it. I get lost in it. It's all about flow. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in this game or I'm involved in this artwork. Or I'm involved in whatever it is. And suddenly mum's turn around and said, come in for dinner. And I go, no, I'm having too much fun, which is the other F. It's fun. We enjoy it. It's enjoyable. So those three Fs about play is fun, free and flow are really important for mental health. Um, We all need it. We all need something in our lives. And we know that the opposite of play is depression. So when you don't have something like that in your life, you don't have play in your life, often, you know, you've got problems. People often say, well, the three Fs you just said, well, that, that describes lots of gains on screens. I guess so be it if that's the case, but I think it's really healthy to do things away from screens as well. Mm, Because as you've said, nature just has such a calming effect. It can really soothe those anxious feelings that the children and adults might be experiencing. Yes, that's right. And that's why when you said earlier on in the podcast, you know, what are some of the reasons that we're more anxious? One of them is that we tend to spend less time in green environments and outdoor environments. My son and his family have lived in Sweden for a long time and they're a big believer in the green notion, the green time, and they have some fantastic strategies for mental health because they spend a lot of time inside. So one of the strategies for Swedes and a lot of people in that part of the world I've noticed as well is they bring green inside. So there's lots of plants inside. There's, you know, so they can't have the garden outside, but so they'll have it inside. So they tend to green up their places as well. So yeah, we don't underestimate the the, the fact. And I'll let you in a little secret. Um, I've started working from home two years ago and the first thing I did when I moved into my office was to cut a a window in front of me and I'm looking at a a beautiful tree now. I spend most of my working day when I'm inside my office. If I'm not in front of the screen, I've just got to look up and I see this beautiful tree which sits about two metres in front of me at the moment, beautiful trees, et cetera, or beautiful leaves. But that's a purposeful thing. That's how much I you know, believe about this notion of green uh, makes us feel safe and makes us feel, as I say, serene. Wow, how lovely. <laughs> Sounds like a beautiful, very soothing view. Um, Michael, what about the role of diet with anxiety? Our life education educators right around the country teach kids about how to have a healthy mind and body. What do we know about the link between poor nutrition or eating the wrong foods and anxiety and mental health problems? Yeah, I'm really pleased, Tracy, that life education really does focus on diet or one of the aspects is is diet because it is so important when we look at anxiety. Serotonin, 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. If you don't have good gut health, you won't produce serotonin, which calms you down. So part of the whole menu of helping kids, I call it not not so much managing, but minimising the likelihood of of anxiety is the fact that you've got to eat well. So, uh, and make sure you have good gut health. So again, good gut health is, is around real foods less processed foods, low sugar. And one of the reasons we've got more anxiety around, and one of the factors which I didn't mention earlier on, is if you're on a high sugar diet, your body doesn't produce serotonin. Less sugar, more real foods. You even might look at the bread you give your kids, wholemeal bread rather than, than white bread. So it does really impact. So again, less processed foods, more real foods, 
keep the water up because if your water isn't up, then your body will will go into distress. So again, anxiety is, is a little bit about distress. Your body will go into stress. So plenty of water before kids need it and um, keep away from those sugar foods. Mm. Well, we've been talking about anxiety today. I, I read recently that uh, something like 2 million Australians grapple with anxiety every year. You've described it as the common cold, I think, in your book. And, <laughs> and obviously, we've been living through extraordinary times on, on top of that. It is pretty hard when you've got to tell a child they can't have a birthday party or their catch-up with their friends is cancelled because of COVID and lockdowns and all the things we've been experiencing. What can parents do to help kids manage those disappointments, particularly in the world that we're living in at the moment? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, we use the word resilience a lot and, and I'm hearing it you know, again. We, we talked about resilience a lot for about 10 years and it's sort of drifted away a, a little bit. Now it's now it's back. So what do I mean by resilience? Resilience is the ability to bounce back from life's difficulties is to put up with some of life's difficulties and also I think it's to almost grow from some of the difficulties which which we have. And resilience is made up of many different things. One of them is that you need to experience some disappointments and, and some of the lesser aspects of life um, as well. So I think in some ways as a parent, we all want our kids to have everything that they want. But in some ways, if they get everything they want all the time, then when the real, really difficult things happen, like now, it doesn't stand you in good stead. So lots of smaller hardships, I call them HFDs, hardships, frustrations and difficulties. So mm-hmm. the little hardships and frustrations and difficulties that kids face on a daily basis can stand them in good stead when the bigger things happen. So I'd, su- I'd suggest we're experiencing a big thing right now. And I also would suggest that missing out in, in and you've got to get across to your child, that, that missing out on that important birthday party in the big scheme of things is not massive. And I think you've got to help your child see, get some perspective and see the bigger picture, perhaps if you can make it up for them. But, you know, it's got to, they've got to see that's very much that part of life. And if there's a positive about this coronavirus, which I'm seeing at the moment, I'm seeing two things happen. I'm seeing far more independent kids. And I'm getting the word from a lot of schools as well that the kids are developing a little bit more independence because you know they're dropped off at school they're not being picked up you know they don't have a parent walking them in carrying their bags they're actually carrying their own bags to school and they're doing things they're more a little bit more independent and the other one is that a lot of kids are developing a little bit more resilience the fact that they're not always getting what they want and they realize that gee um you know that party in the long-term scheme of things isn't that important I understand also the fact that if you've missed, you know, three or four parties or the the cumulative effect does impact as well. And I guess that's where we as parents, we need to, I use a model from the Harvard University School for Child Development, and they've got a a resilience model, which they use in in difficult times, good times and difficult times. And I I think it's really useful to keep in mind in these difficult times. And and if you can, it's a seesaw. And if you can imagine a seesaw with a fulcrum, on one end of the seesaw, there's three things we do as as, as parents. Firstly is see what you can do to reduce stresses for kids. Maybe they don't have to do the dishes. Maybe they, there's some things they don't have to do. So reduce some of the things which are the negative aspects which which may stress them. The other side of it, so is is at the other end of the seesaw. If you can imagine the other end of the seesaw as the positive end, 
it's not so much compensate, but build up some of the positive elements. So make life happy at home, make life good at home, do some special things for your kids at home to to make up for some of the things that they missed out on. So not only does that teach them that you can compensate, you can actually do things, you can focus on other things, but there's always different mindsets. Put some positives in place as well when the negatives are are happening. So take away the negatives, put some positives in place. Then if you can imagine the the seesaw is is sitting on a fulcrum underneath, we've got to move the fulcrum a little bit by giving kids the skills to cope. This is an opportunity to give your kids some of the skills which they need to self-regulate and to cope when things don't go so well. And they'll stand them in good stead later on. So I think parents look at this as, yep, it's not great, but gee, what can my child learn in these particular times? What tools can I give him? And what might they learn now which might help them to be more resilient, children, young people, and even looking further ahead into adulthood? Michael, you've given us so many practical and helpful tools uh, to help kids and adults as well deal with anxiety. We've talked about mindfulness, getting out in nature, connecting with your breath, the importance of exercise, uh, simplifying the routine, cutting back on screen time, and diet. They're they're all fantastic reminders, uh, particularly now with with what we've all been going through. Thank you so much for being with me on the Life Education Parent podcast today. It's been fantastic chatting with you. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for the opportunity. It's something I think is really important. If I've got a sort of a mission, it's the simple fact that we become a little bit more literate in develop our wellbeing literacy. So I'm not expecting people when they listen to this or read a book to suddenly go, oh, I've got got it solved. But just gradually over a period of time, build up your wellbeing literacy. And this has been part of that is just is the moment with looking at anxiety and how we can help kids is just becoming a little bit better every day. Because when we know better, we do better. And uh, I think that's really important to remember that. Mm, Yeah, great advice. Well, you've been hearing from Michael Gross, a founder and director of the website Parenting Ideas, author and award-winning speaker. And if you'd like to know more about helping children deal with anxiety, check out Michael's book with co-author Dr Jodie Richardson, Anxious Kids, How Children Can Turn Their Anxiety Into Resilience. We also have blogs and the full transcript on the Life Education website, lifeeducationqueensland.org.au forward slash podcast. I'm Tracy Challoner. I look forward to you joining me next time for the Life Education Parent Podcast.